Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 30th episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Yangus the Legendary Bandit. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. This is Barurian. Wow, Barurian. What a surprise to have you in the intro. Sipping some tea in your classy armchair, reading your novels while staring at the computer screen as we record this episode. Uh, it's it's all part of the experience, man. Sometimes you just find a wanderer who has the same goals as you, be they an adult, a child from another world, or a giant cat with a bottomless stomach. Uh, so you're saying it's like an encounter, like uh, you would run into within a dungeon. Jeez, man, that's quite the nice way to segue into tonight's topic. Yeah, look, sorry, sorry, folks. I'm I'm not as good with writing these kind of segue jokes as Platy is. That's that's his shtick. It's not mine. Uh, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we will be talking about Dungeon Encounters, a dungeon crawling RPG released by Square Enix just a few months ago. Yangus, I am excited. I am literally excited that we can finally talk about this game. <laughs> yeah, me me too, man. I really am. So. Uh, before we do get into tonight's topic, uh, just to kind of give the listeners here a bit of a heads up, uh, for any of our longtime listeners, uh, this is a bit of a new format that we'll be trying out for SideQuest, uh, which i am just been referring to as the mini-sode. Uh, so if you've listened to, listened to other episodes, you know, normally when we do these SideQuest episodes, we usually just pick a topic, you know, have everyone pick like two or three games or entries to talk about, whatever the case might be. Um, but tonight, for something a little different, hence the name of the mini-sode, this is going to be a one-man show. It, so to speak. Uh, I mean, that's true. Uh, Yang is here, and I have both played Dungeon Encounters and really enjoyed it, and we thought it'd be, you know, fun to discuss our thoughts on the game with each other and with uh, you listeners. Yes, so... Tonight, it's all about Dungeon Encounters. And hey, if this episode gets you interested in the game and uh, you want to check it out for yourself, then great. If not, we hope you just enjoy listening to the two of us, you know, sharing some of our experiences and, you know, what we thought of the game overall. I will say real quick, too, we actually just learned this one yesterday. There actually is going to be a physical release of the game that's coming out to the sea regions. Uh, what is it? Southeast Asia, I believe, is what that yeah. refers to. So, yeah, if you know if you do decide you want to get this game, but you want to, you're like us, you like to have a physical copy, then there's going to be a physical copy coming out in the future within uh, the next few months or so. So, and I, yeah. I loved this game so much that I feel like I'm going to have to import myself a physical copy just to have one. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, I felt this. I felt the exact same way when I saw that, because when I saw that news, I sent it to Barurian right away. And I'm just like, oh, look at here. Look at this. <laughs> Square Enix Southeast Asia, man, with all of those English releases, they they're really the saviors. They really are. All right. Well, start things off. We're going to talk about uh, who helped make the game. Uh, Barurian, do you want to start us off? Um, actually here, you know, I'll, I'll take the first one here and then we'll have you read these other ones that you threw in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, to start things off, um, Dungeon Encounters actually had a lot of, uh, Square Enix alumni members who worked on it. And a lot of these names you actually might be familiar with if you've played, um, older Square Enix games, whether it's from the NES, the Super Nintendo, the PlayStation one, you know, all kinds of, uh, different games from different generations of consoles, uh, First person that I want to mention is Uematsu, or Nobuo Uematsu. He actually composed the music for this game, uh, taking a lot of classical music pieces and performing them either with an electric guitar or an acoustic guitar. Uh, the town theme, for example, which is uh, floor zero in the game, uh, is played on the acoustic guitar. That's uh, very gentle kind of melody, kind of helps you get ready and kind of, oh, the name of the song. Actually, Brewing has it uh, down here further. It's called, and I apologize if I butcher this, it's Adi, or Adagio, 
Adagio Cantabile by Beethoven. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I can sound just like Brewery, isn't that weird? <laughs> but yeah, thank, thank you. I knew I was going to try. I was going to butcher that. If it, I tried it, it, it is a nice, soft tune to start you out on your journey for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, let's see. Yeah, all the music that you uh, hear in the game, uh, other than the town theme, it's all heard in the battles. So a lot of the music that you do hear in the dungeons is actually instead more environmental sounds. Uh, with different floors and different stratums having their own kind of uh, appropriately sounding themes. Like, for example, in the first area, the which is the big cave, you know, has more of like dripping water. You get into the next area, which is like a big green pasture. You hear birds singing, the wind blowing, stuff like that. But when you get into battles, you get a lot of really cool uh, electric guitar versions of a lot of classical pieces, like Flight of the Bumblebees is one that I really enjoyed when that one popped up. So... Uh, it was good. To hear, it was good to see that Uematsu was a part of this game, and you know, helped kind of give this classic music a uh, new style to it. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Rory, do you want to? Oh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to add on to that. That I, I thought it was really great because I had assumed when they announced the game at first that when I heard Uematsu was working on the game, I was like, because they initially said remixed classic music and when they said that for some reason i just took on oh they're gonna take tunes from other final fantasy games and they're gonna remix them for this game but they they went literal with classic music as in classical music so there's a lot of stuff like chopin and uh and beethoven and drew and dvorak and so on and so forth in here that it was i was kind of taken aback a little bit upon the first battle theme when it popped up outside of the town theme when i was just like oh this is classical music not classic final fantasy music which is what i was expecting yeah you know what i could see where you'd get that idea too because ui monster being part of it you know your first thought would be oh it's like final fantasy music they're gonna be in that one <laughs> which that would have been interesting too if they would have taken like the different Final Fantasy battle themes from like the first like nine games or so, and like remix those like the battle themes on each four. That would have been interesting. And that's but... that's that's kind of what I was expecting. And even though that's not what I got, I still really enjoyed what they did with the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, the uh, guitar the guitar work, especially for some of the later songs, like it's really good actually. Because I don't know if it's Uematsu just by himself. It sounds like there's two guitars playing in some he, places where like he's the lead one, and then there's like the rhythm guitar. So I don't but, know if he actually composed them, but it, he was credited as supervising the soundtrack. So that you know can mean a, a, a whole bevy of different things. But um, he definitely worked on the soundtrack and gave us uh, a new sound for all of these. So uh, it was definitely very nice to hear. Mm-hmm. But moving on, the the big one for me upon learning about this game was learning who the game was directed by. And that was uh, Hiroyuki Itoi, who was the game designer for Final Fantasy VI and twelve. And if you're not even familiar with that, he actually created the active time battle system way, way back in Final Fantasy IV. So having his name attached to the product as the director, I was like, I am, I was like, I'm already in just hearing Uematsu and Itoi. Yeah, that, I did not know that Itoi was uh, dated back as far as Final Fantasy IV and helped with the active time battle. But if you've listened to other side quest episodes, you know that Final Fantasy IV is one of my favorite games that I've ever played. So when I did find out that he was a part of it and that he was responsible for the ATB system in FF4, I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's Ito, not Itoi, because there's no I on the end. So 
we're gonna mispronounce a lot of stuff, especially when it comes to these song names. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you. I mean, I, at this point, I just think you're just gonna be like. Um, maybe we need to do like a post edit where we just have like a robotic voice kicking and be like, right. it says the names appropriately for us. It puts like the pronunciation. You know, it comes it comes <laughs> up and it's like directed by Hiro Yuki Ito. <laughs> but then uh, some we, we have a couple of more people that are attached to the product. Uh, these uh, big name people in the Final Fantasy legacy. The first one is uh, Hiroaki Kato, who produced Final Fantasy twelve and uh, Tactics A2 Grimoire, which uh, I didn't to be honest, I never really played the A2 Tactics game for the for the DS. That one kind of slipped by me. But he was the producer on twelve and um, since Platy's not here, 12 is a pretty okay game. <laughs> uh, well, don't don't worry. We're going to hear plenty about um, FF12 in just a few days as of the time of right. recording. So, <laughs> so if um, you're listening to this episode and then the next one back-to-back, uh, listeners, um, you're going to know right away why we're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, and then finally... The person that did all of the character and monster art for the game is uh, Ryoma Ito, who also did work on Tactics Advance for the uh, Game Boy Advance and Final Fantasy XII Revenant Wings for the DS, uh, Heroes of Mana, and a whole heck of a lot more if you're uh, familiar with his name at all. But those are some of the big ones that he has worked on. I've always really liked his character design for stuff. I don't know what it is about it, uh, but I love it. Oh, yeah. I've really liked his uh, character art in uh, Dungeons & Encounters as well, because a lot of the characters, you know, some of them don't really have, like, crazy designs. A few of them do. But it's a, there's a nice mix of character designs, I feel, where some of them are more the, like traditional kind of RPG looks. Some are a little more out there. Um, I guess just for a, a Square Enix series comparison, if you've ever played one of the Saga games and you've seen how, you know, the cast of those games can be pretty varied amongst themselves, like there's robots and monsters and things like that, uh, you'll go into Dungeon Encounters, see the kind of character cast list that there is, and you'll be like, oh, okay, this is, you know, pretty on par with some of the stuff that Square Enix has done in the past for character lineups. <laughs> and it is great for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so why don't you fill us in on what the game's about? Oh, yes. Well... Uh, the premise of the game is pretty simple. Uh, you control a group of a group of explorers. You control a group of explorers uh, from the academy who venture into the unknown depths of the labyrinth below the town. Uh, the game does start off with a bit of a narration where it says that this mysterious labyrinth has appeared underneath uh, this town on the surface, and even though a lot of exploration parties have gone into the labyrinth, uh, not a lot of them have either returned or they have just completely disappeared and lot and the people at the, uh, in the town have just like lost contact with them. So eventually the academy is formed to try and bring more people into going down there and exploring and that's where the game starts off. You choose your uh, party of four. Uh, you can go around the town, look and see where you can get your armor and everything like that, kind of get your uh, bearings for how the game's going to work. And once you start heading down to the first floor, it's pretty much just you're going down, exploring the labyrinth, and on occasion you might find some new party members or find some uh, secrets as you're going through. The uh, game is pretty light on the narrative, other than that little Brit, a little... Uh, brief text that's at the very start of it uh but there is some more later on in the game and i do mean later on. later <laughs> later on in the game this game leaves you to your own devices basically it does 
it like without any like music playing in the background as you're exploring around and uh, with the very uh, brief moments of text that you will get it's really one of those games that you're gonna fill in the blanks uh, with your imagination or you'll just be like well uh, like I I'm very much someone that just kind of likes it when the game doesn't really push a narrative too much on you just kind of lets you go in and like explore and stuff because then your mind gets to wander and wonder about you know what's going on like why is this here what is this about but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more further down um when you do get to the 89th floor though you do get a, a new event box that'll like pop up with some text for you kind of right. explains the situation of one of the other explorers who actually got very far into this giant dungeon and upon beating the final boss you'll get um, a final bit of dialogue and text with this uh, said character kind of addressing you the player and your characters and um let's see so yeah just um, without repeating myself too much there's just not really a whole lot of story or narrative that's really pushed on the player um a lot of the world and character building uh comes from the individual character descriptions uh from the characters you can choose at the academy at the start of the game or as you explore and you find them as you uh, go through different floors or find them in different areas uh you'll learn a little bit more about the worlds or just you know about those characters and why uh they've headed into this giant labyrinth of a dungeon that's below the town so, so I, I really liked that. I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, that's that that's great. And and to sum it up, if you go and watch the trailer for this game that Square Enix put out, what you see is what you get. You don't get anything more and you don't get anything less. They show they they basically lay everything out on the table in terms of gameplay and narrative. Because I think that confused a lot of people when the game first came out. Of uh, they they look at it and they go, "That's it." And you're like, "Yeah, that's it." This scratches a very very uh, niche audience's uh, itch on gameplay mechanics, and I have seen some people that really really love it, and then other people are like, "This is the stupidest thing I've ever played." <laughs> I have noticed though that I, I, I kept track on Twitter for the first month that this was game this game was out on Twitter America and Twitter Japan and in Japan they loved this game they absolutely loved it and then over here in America it seemed like people were kind of 50/50 split of they either really loved it or they really did not like it because of there there's basically there's no graphics that was the number one thing there's no graphics to this game. Like, oh yeah, I saw a ton of complaints where people are like, "It looks like a phone game." Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. Is I even had one friend who who this is very much his kind of game, but he saw it and he goes, "I'm not paying that. That's a phone game. I pay five dollars for that." And I'm like, "Dude, you are missing out." Oh my gosh, this is so much longer than that kind of game too. Like, just to quickly jump ahead a little bit, like by the time that I finished this game, I got like about forty five hours out of it. And I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, this went way longer than I thought it was going to." I put almost double into it myself. I put 80 hours into it by the time I was done with it. Oh my gosh. It's it's fun though. It's like, this is one of those games where it's one of the reasons why I like going back and playing like Final Fantasy 1 or like the first three Dragon Quest games or like some older RPGs. It's it's um, reminding me of an RPG where you don't really need a whole lot of story. It's just more that you just go in, you can play it, and you just focus on the gameplay, which is one reason why we, uh, Brewery and I were actually talking a bit about this before uh, we started recording, where like we've both been replaying Dragon Quest 2, and um, 
I've been enjoying replaying it because, you know, I kind of know what to do and go and, and what to expect and stuff. But it's just fun to explore the game and just, um, you know, not having to be bogged down by a bunch of text or story unless you're in a town and talking to people. It's just about the experience of, like, going through this world and, you know, fighting monsters and, you know, getting yourself stronger. I, I just kind of enjoy that simplicity, and I was really glad that um, I did give Dungeon Encounters a chance because um, Brewerian actually was the one that uh, encouraged me to finally look into this game because I, as you can probably tell you, I asked him like several times, like, what is this game about exactly? What is this about? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't remember the answer I gave the first time, but it was probably something along the lines of, watch the trailer, that's what you get. <laughs> so that's what I've told everybody. I've gotten a few people to play this game and um, they've all been like, the, f- the the few people that have have been like this is a lot better than I was expecting it to be. Oh yeah, it's uh, and I'm like yeah I know it's it's great. Yep. I just love filling the tiles, man. It's I, it's, it's, it's so satisfying. It's so satisfying. It really is. <laughs> when you get that one, like when you get a map uh, completed and you just see that little thing pop, it's like oh you marked all the tiles. Here's three skill points for you. It's like hell yeah, dude. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> You just you just want to go to the next floor and see what other crazy stuff's gonna happen. But so 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 I guess I guess we could start this out. Um, when you started the game, how did you select your characters? Well, that's a good question. So I picked four characters, and they were pretty much my main party for the entire game, except for a few cases where uh, they got lost, which we, we will get to later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brewery has in his notes uh, from one that we're gonna definitely bring up. <laughs> But um, when I started playing, I just was kind of looking through the characters and seeing, you know, which ones uh, just kind of stood out to me. Like, I, I really don't have, like, a set way for how I pick characters, I'll be honest. I just kind of look at them, and I'm just like, oh, this one seems cool. So I actually picked for uh, sort of my... So whoever's the, like, lead character of your party is going to be your little mascot guy that's, like, running around on the on the map for you. So uh, I would like to... I'd like to make out a good point here that every character has a 3d model that displays on the map like whoever you put into the first i loved that that little detail that they did everybody does it's not Mm -hmm. like only certain people do all of the characters have their own 3d character model yeah and a lot of them have their own animations too when they're moving about and everything yeah you have a pretty diverse cast of characters as we said but um let me see so for my four characters i just picked um i guess the four that just seemed the most unique to me like the guy that i picked is like my main character quote unquote uh his name was uh julosh or julock i'm not sure i supposed to say his name it's j-u-l-o-c-h yeah he's one of the ones that i also picked i also i liked his backstory a lot so i was like mm-hmm. all right you're in my party yeah, that was that was something that kind of sold me on some of the characters too. Like, like uh, Julak. I'm not sure. I have no idea how to say his name. I'm just gonna say it that yeah. way. <laughs> um, I picked him because and I have it here in my notes too. I picked him because I just like how when you look at him, he just looks so sad and bored in his artwork. Like he just he does from a distance. Like looking at my TV right now and looking at his artwork. He just looked like his eyes are like half open and he's just kind of like, hmm. So I picked him because I thought it would it just would be kind of funny because he just seems like he wouldn't be that phased by whatever he would come across and just be like, eh, all right. <laughs> but um, like for the other characters I picked, uh, I chose Elva, who was a uh, panther man. Panther, who, yeah, the panther man. Because, I, well, seeing him and like one of, like one of the pictures of... Uh, 
like a promo for the game. It like shows him he's got like this big long cape running around, and I just imagine like he was like one of the fastest people around and could like uh, for as big as he was, like he could be kind of stealthy because I had him using shurikens and things like that to break down enemy defenses. Um, I picked for my third character. Uh, oh gosh, it's Lalagi. I don't know how you say it. it's it's L H A U L A G I. It's one of the white. It's the white hair girl. From oh yeah, she yeah. Um, I had her in my original party, uh, but she didn't end up making it to the final cut party. Uh, I liked her backstory a lot as well. Yeah, and it's interesting because her says the seventh expedition, and like as you get through the game, you'll see other characters who were part of like the previous ones too, like we were uh, kind of talking about before. Um, let's see, and the last character that I picked uh, was Renzo, who just for like, I kind of liked his look. He kind of made me think of Bob Marley a little bit when I picked him. I don't know oh. why. <laughs> it's just because he's got dreads. And you know what? I think it might be a part of that too. But he also made me think of uh, Marley from uh, Suikoden 2, who's also a shout out to Bob Marley. So I guess I'm just like a Bob Marley fan. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> but I just, I just picked him because I thought um, his story was one I thought was really cool. Like he was a guy that he got into this big fight. Uh, he's got his wounds have healed up and he's going into this labyrinth because he's going to track down the person who attacked him in the first place because it even tells you right in his story like um, uh, her name is I'm going to probably butcher this it's Letnania oh god I don't know how to say it yeah all all these names are very interesting I know so hard to say some of them too but I just picked him because for one I thought he was a cool looking character I liked his backstory and really like oh, that's the case with a lot of the characters like a lot of them have really cool backstories and oh, you know yeah. interesting uh, you know setup for you know their characters even though you know this is a text heavy game like it's it's like we were talking about before where it can really help you fill in sort of the spaces and like fill in the blanks for like you know why this person is going into the labyrinth or you know what their opinions would be about certain situations and things like that so uh for, for me um, oh yeah who did you pick who did you pick uh, for mine, I had an initial party. I think my initial party was um, I had I had Elva as well, the the Panther Man. I had Guy Sablanc. Um, He's the uh, best name. I love his name. Oh, I know it's great. <laughs> I also had the same uh, white-haired girl, Plalagi, uh, and I think my fourth person might have been Nangapa. But I uh, was, you know, brand new to the game. I eventually had a party wipe with them, probably around floor 10 to 13. And so I selected a new party. And for the new party, that party ended up being my party that I went through the entire game with. Or really, it was I had three characters that I went through the entire game with. And the fourth slot was a constant swap out. Mm. So the three that I went with was Rodovich, um, Julash, and Sispare. And which one was Sisparia? Which one was she's oh, here she is. She's the other white-haired girl. Yeah, she's the one that you can actually find wandering around in the town, like in. Because yeah, I remember, she, I remember, I messaged you, Baruri, and I'm just like, yeah. okay, I'm like on floor 15, and I have not found any of these characters. Like, what the hell am I doing wrong here? So, so now that now that we have finished the game, you know, obviously there's going to be some spoilers in here that we talk about, but like, she was in a hidden tile on the town floor. And you can generally find these characters around the level that, or around the floor that their current level is. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you find, um, I think her name was Ilberth, 
Let's see. Um, yeah, Elbertha. Elbertha. Yeah. When I found her, she was you know somewhere around I think floor fifteen because she was about level fifteen. So and then um, the Dragon Man Valtoro was eighty, and I found him roughly in the eighties. So that's that's how I kind of figured out using the wandering tracker on where they would be. But I went with these three characters specifically because I liked the story of Rodovich being he's an old man, but he wants to challenge the dungeon one last time to show that his skills are still up to par. And then for Saspare, um, the last line in her story, and none of this is spoilers. Like you can read the stories of all of the characters from the moment you start the game. Yeah, that was that really surprised me too because if you go into the like when you're making your party, you can see the full list of characters. Like the game does not try and hide hide it at all. Yeah, they're, tell they're you what, all there. It won't, it won't tell you what floor some of the later ones are on. I just say like they're wandering until yeah. you um, find them um, either with the wandering tracker or um, if you just happen to go no, like if you replay the game, and you know what tile that they're on. Yeah, because it's not right gonna. It them. won't tell you what tile they're on. You have to find it. Mm-hmm. But um, Saspari's last line in her story says the labyrinth. What was taken from me, I think I may find it there. And I liked that idea of she's looking for something in there. So I kind of left the the fourth character slot open as a kind of, you know, will the fourth character be the one she's looking for kind of thing? You know, it, and it, mm. goes, back, it, goes, it goes back to that whole thing of you kind of make this game lets you make your own story with it. So that's what was really strong for me. And Julosh. I liked his because he was a very kind of uh, introverted, bored person, mm-hmm. and he kind of went with Rodovich and Saspari because he was just like, if they make it, they make it. If they don't, they don't. I'm just here. Kind of, you know, he's just, I'm just here. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because when I was playing, you know, I picked him as my like main character and had him team up with the other three. I kind of thought of him as being like, even though he didn't say a whole lot, that he would write down, uh, you know, his experiences, like what he encountered in like a journal. And then eventually someone would find the journal, read it and be like, oh, well, he did have more to say than we thought he did. You know, kind of be like a play on like he's silent, like he's a silent protagonist. But, oh, he actually was a lot more uh, in uh, with it than we thought he was. So but, uh, yeah, and that is that is what I love about it. We came to two different uh, conclusions with the same character here, basically, and that's that's what I like about it. So the 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 game itself is the dungeon is basically seated. It's set. It never changes. All of the floors are the same, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you access them. Even if you start a new game, they don't change. It's the same from top to bottom. So if you can remember where things are, you can potentially get things early on the next playthrough. Mm-hmm. It's I've seen people who actually make comparisons uh, with that with um, like Metroid, uh, because if you can know how to get to certain things early on, you can go and get them. You can go back to where you came, kind of like the sequence breaking sort of thing. You yeah. Know? Because um, really, if you really wanted to, you you probably could get down to floor ninety, fight the final boss, quote unquote, and um, you know try and beat the game as quick as you could. You might get your ass handed to you, but. I mean, yeah. if you really want to try it, you could. You know, you, I mean, yeah, that's very true. There are paths to get you down there. So, why don't we, now that we've kind of talked about the characters and just the general tone of the game. Wait a minute, we, hold on, we didn't we didn't talk about the, the most important character of the cast. The one that was one of the characters of like, okay, well, I have to find this character and use him at some point. <laughs> it's the one, the only Sir Cat, and why the... is he not your favorite character? <laughs> 
like Sir, Sir Cat is great only because if you if you read his uh, character bio, when the party finds him, it, it, it says in here the the party says to him. So, would you like to come with us? One spoke, but the cat remained silent. What shall we call it? Cat? At this, the cat narrowed its eyes ever so slightly. Sir Cat, another quickly offered, and that matter was settled. <laughs> that was so great. And you know what? I just, and from my playthrough, I just pictured that Elva was the one that said Sir Cat just because of what <laughs> the, the Panther Man. He's like, you have to, you know, show him respect. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, I remember um, when I first started playing the game, I was scrolling through the list of the characters, trying not to read through them. I got to Sir Cat, though, and I had to read what his story was. And I'm like, well, I have to find this character now. I have to get this cat. They, and I they, did use him for quite a few floors before I'm like, eh, I kind of want to get my main party bag just because I've been using them for the whole game. Right. <laughs> I mean, they, they show him in the trailer for like a split second. They show like his character model on the on the on the floor filling tiles in. And, and, and that was the first time I was like, that's a big cat. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the preview articles that I read, it showed some of the character artwork as like the banner for it. And I see, like, the full picture of Sir Cat. Like, Sir Cat is so tall. When it showed that artwork of him, all you could see was just his um, uh, his head. And then there was just, like, a white blob beneath him. And then when you see his full character artwork, he really is just, like, a fat, white, floating blob of a cat. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw him, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Totoro from My Neighbor Totoro. <laughs> it's, it's Totoro on steroids, dude. It is. And he can, like, he can, if you find his um, special weapon, the cutlery set, he can one, he can one-shot eat enemies. And I'm not kidding when I say eat them. He will eat anything that gets in his path. I've seen him devour a castle. I've seen him devour a tsunami. I've seen him devour harpies and dragons and all kinds black, of things. Black holes. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. We, we'll have to get to uh, the super bosses here. <laughs> but, uh, black holes. Yeah. But, uh, the, uh, what, did, uh, what did you want to go on to for Maria? So, so, so yeah. So now that we've kind of talked about the characters and, and just kind of how we came to our our merry band of heroes. So every I like the word that you used earlier for this, and I know where you got this word from. You said stratum for every ten floors because I've just been saying floors. You know, when you're in the twenties, thirties, forties, it's like when you're in the first stratum, second stratum, third stratum. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me, even though they don't use the that um, verbiage here. But I know you pulled that from Etrian Odyssey. Shh, shh, don't tell anybody that. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that series. No. But um, <laughs> I like how the first uh, the first one that we start out with, uh, I believe it was called the Underworld, and that was the first level or the first floor outside of town. Mm-hmm. And I like for every time that you enter uh, a new stratum, essentially, you get this nice picture with the name of it and kind of a just the the picture is just kind of a description of what to expect from it. And it was just kind of an underground cave. And that leads into the whole changing environments for this game, because in the trailer, they don't really show a lot. It's like the same brown background with the tiles for the whole thing, because I think this is something they were trying to hide Mm -hmm. until you played it yourself. But I really enjoyed every stratum being a different thing. And it let me, like with with the characters, kind of concoct a story about the party as I moved through them. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I definitely found the most interesting when playing through the game, like just how vastly different the environments could change. Like, I remember I had made the comment, um, just going back to the Etrian Odyssey thing, 
Um, so when playing that series, when you go to a new stratum, like the environment could be completely different from what you see on the previous uh, five floors or four floors, whatever the case might be for the game. Uh, usually there is like a kind of a narrative reason why uh, the environment changes. Like um, just to go to Etrian Odyssey 1, for example, uh, the first five floors are this like green, vibrant forest. You go down to the second stratum and then it becomes this like uh, lush tropical rainforest type jungle. You go a little further down to the next stratum. It's this cold cave with like these coral trees and fish and plant life and everything like that. And when you kind of think about, um, without going into spoilers about that game, just how the world um, uh, changed and evolved and how this labyrinth came to be, you kind of realize like how it's set up is um, kind of showing how life progressed after such and happened. I guess just not to go into too much spoilers, but if you've ever seen the movie uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, try and think of um, a certain point where Nausicaa discovers what's below like the toxic jungle and like how that sort of um, helped that place evolve and everything like that. I won't, it's, um, hope, have you seen that movie brewing? You kind of, I actually have about. not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I have not seen it. <laughs> well, um, uh, just imagine like below that toxic, this like toxic jungle with all these dangerous plants and everything that there's this kind of strange and serene place with sand and water and, you know, fresh air and everything. Right. And that's sort of the impression that I was kind of getting with this game as I was playing through and going through the environments, because with how drastically they change at first, I thought, well, maybe there's some sort of like reason for this, like from going from the cave, like the underworld, then going into paradise lost, which is like this, green pasture with trees and forest and the blue sky it almost made me wonder if you're like leaving a cave and going into it and then you get into some of the next areas with like the undulating sands and the molten crags it's like okay what the hell's going on here like and and that's you know i i guess we shouldn't we shouldn't cover all of them and let people who listen kind of play through it and experience mm -hmm. for themselves but we can we can talk about the first you at least Mm -hmm. like we start with the town and this dungeon has appeared below the town well sure if it's going to be under the town, it's going to be in the underworld, the caves. Mm-hmm. So we work our way through the caves, and as you said, we find ourselves in Paradise Lost. The caves open up to this these lush, rolling like hills and everything. The And what's really neat about it is, for every stratum that you go through, the... Uh, the maps kind of kind of reflect what kind of the, the shape of you know we'll say each uh, floor can be like for Paradise Lost. It's uh, a lot of straight paths that cross over each other and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to get lost. And then when we move on from Paradise Lost, it's like we we're leaving these verdant pastures and we start coming out into a desert almost the undulating sands and. The, all of a the sudden, these these straight crossing paths all of a the sudden becomes these spider webs of tile paths that can can connect that are interconnected and go nowhere but connect all together at the same time, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to navigate. And it continues like that as you work your way lower and lower. Every every theme that you come across, the tiles kind of match with it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool, too, that they were able to make, like, each environment, um, not only with, like, the sound aesthetic, but also with um, the design aesthetic for how they set up each floor. Like, one of my favorite ones was from um, Forgotten Glory, which is uh, floors 50 through 59, where when you look at how it's set up and, like, what the background is when you first get down there, um, and there's also a really cool, like, effect on the map, too, with where, like, this water is falling on it. But it's interesting looking at it because... 
when you notice like what they are in the background and why the map is set up in sort of these square like shapes, you're like, oh, okay, you know, kind of not to get too spoilery, but um, it made me think of a city. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, it, the, like the, a... the name, the name gives it away right there. Forgotten Glory. It's t- to me, it, it was like an abandoned and uh, uh, disparaged city that mm-hmm. has just been lost to time, more or less, which fits the name Forgotten Glory. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of one of the things that um, made me wonder, you know, what the real story is behind this crazy uh, changing environments. Because um, without, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get too spoilery, unfortunately, because there is a lot of really cool stuff. But I will just, just to say that when you get towards the end of the game, uh, one of the last places you discover in the game, uh, the final area, it sort of like opens your eye, opened opens your mind to like what could possibly have happened, why this uh, labyrinth is so distinct from every every time you go to another ten floors or so. Like for my own interpretation, I don't know if you saw it this way too, Brewerian, but I totally saw this as like because of this, like all of these different sort of environments and you know people and places and creatures are all just getting like kind of jam packed together into this one somewhat cohesive uh, place that's be- below this town because of what um, well uh, what the final area is called and what it looks like because oh yeah because when I saw it the first time I'm like I'm like. I remember I messaged you two about this. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, what's going on? Like, why is I, I, the why is this environment <laughs> like this? Yeah, go, going from the previous stratum to the final one, you're just like, what is going on? And that's yeah. what made it extra like extra cool for me because it was just s- such a hard shift. Because when we're on the 80th to the 89th floor, and then when we move into the 90th floor, it was such such a left turn that I was not expecting it. I know. Like, I ended up... Um, so, there's a status ailment that you get in this game that's called Cathy, where you turn into, like, this little uh, hedgehog... Or not hedgehog. You turn into, like, this little guinea pig-looking thing. And there is a way you can get rid of it, but you have to work your way over to this one-way warp. And if you take the warp, it actually gives you a small preview of what you can encounter at the end of the game. And I remember... Oh, my God. I remember going into that, and I was immediately like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Like, I was so confused. And then when I was going back, when I got back up to where I needed to be and got rid of the status ailment and stuff and uh, started going through some of the other areas, I'm like, so is it because of that that everything is as weird as it is? <laughs> Gotta be, right? It, it, re- it really made me start to uh, wonder about this game. And that was something that I absolutely fell in love with, uh, love with it about it because... I just at first was like, oh, okay, it's just kind of more standard RPG stuff. And then you start com- coming across some rather unusual enemies. And you're just like, oh, well, that's, I mean, that kind of fits for an RPG. You know, sometimes they do stuff out of left field. Then you get more answers the further you go on without the game telling you any answers. It just shows you. <laughs> I, I loved it for that. I really I, I, I thought that too. was so good. Like, I'm very much like, I want to, you know, you know, you can tell me the story, but if you can also visually let me see what happens in the story without like really like pushing on you, it's like, okay, you're, you're doing something really good there. <laughs> but, um, so instead of, uh, yeah, since I, I feel like we can't really talk too terribly much about all of the really cool changing environments and stuff like that, why don't we talk about, I guess the mechanics of the game a little bit more, you know, touch on the battle system, the, 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 you know, the crazy cast of monsters that we have and stuff like that, since we've already kind of touched on characters and things. Oh yeah. That actually would be a good way then for us to uh, briefly mention, um, 
we won't talk about too much of the, the bosses you can encounter, but I do think we should mention, um, I, I, you probably see it here in the notes, Brewing, uh, the two of the super bosses that you can come across uh, towards <laughs> the end of it. One of which oh, I actually gosh. run into like halfway through the game. Yes. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, let's talk about the mechanics real quick. That's a good idea. So, so um, if you're if you're familiar at all with any kind of Final Fantasy game, uh, this is, you know, like 70% that, right? You've got your characters, you've got your enemies. Uh, four, you know, it's basically four, your cast of four versus anywhere from one to, I think I have fought, I think the max is five or six things at a time. Uh, but yeah, I believe it's, I believe it's about six. Like the most that I've ever seen, uh, I feel like I it's playing six. the game was like six enemies and one battle, and you have sent me a picture of it too, was where you can run into six of these uh, giant um, purple beasts that if you've played Final Fantasy that you will probably recognize right away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But you can run into like up to enemies of like six groups of monsters. It's like, holy crap. (laughs) That's very scary when that happens. But basically, you know, it's, it's an ATB system because the guy who created the ATB system was the director for this game. So he's kind of gone a little bit further uh, further with um, all of this. So, you know, it's, it's a, uh, you've got, oh gosh, where to, where to begin? There's, there's just so much going on mechanic wise for this game. And I love every little bit about it because of that. Mm-hmm. So all of your characters have speed, have different speeds and the speed is tied to not your character's level, but to the gear that you wear, because everybody has a base speed, and the speed can be varied by uh, things that you equip. Because you can equip two weapons, you can equip your uh, a headpiece, an armor piece, and one accessory. And with a lot of this stuff, really all of it, um, the only thing that matters with level is every time you level up, your HP goes up. Your stats don't go up, because your stats are tied to your weapons, not to your character. What your character is important for is the uh, is your PP points, which lets you equip higher uh, level gear to your character to do more damage. So in this game, we've got characters on both sides, and they have a physical defense and a magical defense that you must go through one of those defenses before you can touch their health. And what's really nice about that is no matter, you know, you've got 10,000... Uh, physical defense and if it gets if it gets torn through and you finish the battle it refills at the end of that so the next Mm -hmm. time you go into battle your your defenses are refilled but your hp is constant so if you lose hp in battle that's that's it uh it's lost until you restore it or you find one of the event points to heal yourself Mm -hmm. and that's one of the big things you have to watch out for too because there will be enemies you come across that can have skills that can bypass whatever sort of a physical or magical defense you have, and they can just directly attack your HP. So if you know those enemies are coming, and you recognize, you know, what spaces they're on, you can, you know, you can counter it or like try and know what enemies to take out first. But right. And you, that's, you do have to be mindful of that sort of thing. And, and being mindful of that comes in with battle abilities. So you mentioned earlier in the podcast here that when you finish charting a floor you, you know you'll get a little pop-up that says hey you've earned some uh ap points well ap points in this game will let you equip uh battle abilities that you find as you work your way through the dungeon um now the different battle abilities that you find can do a 
vast amount of different things. Like some of the first ones that you get is like withdraw. Like initially you can't run away from battles, but then you get the withdraw ability so you can run away from battles. And then you get uh, the ability that heals a single character in your party. And then you've got, you know, a, a more improved version of that greater restoration, resurrection, you know, physical and magical rejuvenation, which restores your physical and magical defenses while you're in battle. Um, you even have battle abilities that will counter specific monster abilities that will say poison you or turn you to stone mm-hmm. or you know make you immune to instant death and stuff like that. Those are definitely some of the most useful ones too to find in the game. And I don't know about you, Brewerian, but every single time I found one of those, I made sure I equipped it as fast as I could just oh, to make sure yeah, that well, nothing crazy was going to happen while I'm exploring. Yeah, because <laughs> some of those are awful. Like, I think there is... I never had it happen to me in my playthrough, but there is a, a monster that can consume your opponents, or its mm-hmm. opponents, which is your party. And I think that you have to... Uh, I think either they go back to your academy or they get left dead on the square, basically. Mm-hmm. Since I never had it happen to I me, mean, I, I I probably should have had it happen once just to see what happens, you know. But um, that's what a replay is for. You can you can save that for when you're you, that, you're true. more prepared for the game. <laughs> now, one one thing that did one thing that did get me very early on was I had a character get turned to stone. And when you have a character that gets turned to stone, you have to drop them on the tile you're on and leave them behind. Mm-hmm. The because, game will tell you too, like they're too heavy for you to move. Yeah, and that comes into play with the different uh, events like this game is all about the quote-unquote events so at any time in your menus on the switch version actually this is only on the switch isn't it i think it's on the steam as well um this yeah no game, it, it's on ps4 too yeah oh okay okay yeah I've, I've everybody that i've talked to that has played this has only played it on the switch i don't know anybody that's played it anywhere else <laughs> It but. is on PS4. I actually, funny enough, there was um, a few days, what was it, a few weeks ago, um, I had been stuck at home for a while. I had, uh, I was looking on uh, the PS4 just because I was curious, like, like, what Square Enix games that were on Switch were also on PS4. And sure enough, when I was looking through it, they did have Dungeon Encounters on the PS4. And there, there's a full trophy list for it and everything. Oh, wow. Okay. And when, I, and when I actually, the funny thing is, too, when I looked up the trophy list to see, like, what all one there, the ones there were, there's a lot of obvious stuff, you know, it's like get to the next stratum or, you know, get yeah. this ability, get that and stuff. When I looked to see the platinum for it, it says, like, 35% of people have gotten the platinum <laughs> So, so a good chunk of the people that bought this game on PS4, they go all the way. So they go all congrats the way. Congrats to all you guys out Seriously. there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you have to for if if your character gets poisoned, if they get turned to stone, you have to go find the right uh, event to fix them. Like you, you know, it's the same as healing or resurrecting. You have to like uh, five events five through eight, which are the white numbers that appear on the field are the different things. And you can pull, if you play on the Switch, you, at any time, if you if you click in on the left stick, it'll pull that event list up, and you can see where everything is once you've discovered it. Like, I found an altar that cures poison. This is where I found it, and it gives you the floor, the X and the Y axis, and you know where to go. But the thing to keep in mind with that as well is there's multiple of these. So it's always a good idea to write them down because once you find the next one, it'll... It, it only remembers the most recent one you've been to. So it's always good to keep a list on those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So if you get 20 floors ahead and you go, ah, the last one I found was, you know, this many floors ago, but, you know, I accidentally went to another one and ch- it, it changed the uh, 
the coordinates for it in the menu. And gosh, there's just so much going on in this game, even though there's not a lot to look at. Yeah, and you know what? That's one of the things, like I was talking about before, that I really enjoyed about it. Because I I do kind of like it when the games uh, don't necessarily like push something in your face. It's one of the reasons why I like Dark Souls as much as I do. Because you know, even though those worlds are you know going to be a lot more detailed than say what you see here in um, a Dungeon Encounters in terms of like the visuals, like for as minimal as they tell you and like what they present to the player, it's interesting what all you can fill in the gaps with with the mechanics and you know, figuring out how the game works and everything, because there's some pretty cool setups that you can do in this game with the abilities that you earn from exploring, from the equipment that you obtain, and from, you know, how you set your party up. And I think that that is so fascinating with it. And that one of the things that, you know, I had such a blast figuring that out, because one of my favorite things that I did, um, there's an ability that you get, um, let me see if I find the right one here, do-do-do-do... It is called uh, Desperate Strength, where if your party member or if one of your party members has their HP in the red, they will do uh, double damage. So normally when you have a weapon equipped, um, depending on what kind it is, like a sword, for example, will always do, you know, a a fixed amount of damage. Well, if your character has um, low HP and you have this dominant or this Desperate Strength uh, ability equipped, guess what? They're going to be doing, you know, twice the damage. So if you have like a 10,000 Strength Sword equipped, they're going to be doing 20,000 points of damage to physical damage or to uh, physical defense or just to the enemy's HP. So you can get some really fun stuff set up if you have the right sets of equipment. Like, oh, we can we can crank that even further with wrongful strength, where if their health is low and their defenses are depleted, it doubles it again. So you you can get up to like four times your uh, damage output on a weapon. So like you said, if it's 20,000, you're doing 80,000 damage in a swing, a single swing now. Mm-hmm. But the, it, I guess it gets that, pretty nuts with what sort of combinations you can do with the, it, with the battle system. It's so much fun. It is. <laughs> it, but but the, fr- the, the most frustrating thing about it is when you have something like that happening and say the enemy still has like 200, two, just 200 points left on their physical damage and you swung and you did that like 20,000 damage. It doesn't the the remainder does not transfer over to their HP. You have to wait until the next turn to start doing direct damage to them. Yep. And it's, there is no it's kinda there like is, a puzzle to figure out. There is out, no like, ability in the game also that overwrites that. It is that is a constant from start to finish in this game. Mm-hmm. It's to me it kind of was like a puzzle, you know, making sure that your next character was going to be able to follow up correctly or like you have to kind of plan out like okay who am i gonna go for next to take him down like am i gonna go for this guy who still has a bunch of his uh physical defense left with my character who has a really strong attack or do you want to try and get that other guy's uh physical defense weakened down so my next character who's gonna attack will be able to you know go on for the kill and take him out but then there's also this enemy's atb bar which is almost full so it's it's like you have to kind of find the right balance for what you want to do i I always pay attention I always pay attention to speed first because I'll look at it and go, all right, their speed is 65 and their ATB bar is a third full. Whereas my guy who is a speed of 85, his ATB bar is about 40% full. He's going to get to go next before this enemy. And I kind of work on it from there. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the question is, going through the game, did you focus more on physical defenses, or did you focus more on magical defenses? Because enemy types in this game can change. It's not always the same. You'll have some that will have 
you know, their physical defense will be like, it's 15,000, and then their magical defense will be like 8,000. So you know that you need to tear through their magical defense to do damage quicker to them rather than trying to go through a higher physical defense. Mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing for a while in the game was where, like, my first two characters, uh, Julok and Elva, they were both more of the physical damage dealers. So, like, uh, Julok had a uh, sword always equipped. He would have, like, a firearm or a bow for his other weapon. Uh, Elva always had a bow uh, for his main weapon. Uh, he would then either have a shuriken, either the magic one or the physical one, uh, as his sub-weapon, so to speak. Right. Um because with like some of the special things you can equip, uh, just to quickly talk about that, there are a few special weapons you can equip to characters that they aren't really going to do like damage in particular. Like there's sometimes you find like staffs that will like poison the enemy or like curse them with stone, and after so many so much time passes, you know they'll take poison damage or they'll eventually you know turn into uh, a stoned enemy. Uh, take that comment as you will. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know there's some different like um if there's some different setups you can do with that as well but uh anyway go, going back to what i was saying um uh the girl uh we're just gonna call her loggy for short uh i had her be more my magic focused character with her having a uh, like a ma- like the strongest magic book that i had at the time uh giving her a gun for her sub weapon then so she could hit all enemies and then my last guy uh, Renzo I gave him I made sure that he was another bow user and I gave him magic as well because one of the things that it kind it I get why they did it but it's one of the more annoying enemy types is any enemy that can fly because the only way you can hurt them is either with magic with a bow or with a gun because if you have a sword or one of the the blunt weapon types like axes and stuff you're not going to be able to hit them until you get a certain uh ex- exploration ability uh much later on in the game so you kind of have to figure out from enemies that you encounter like okay what's the best way to um tackle some of these situations so that's why i kind of uh tried to split my party up equipment-wise as evenly as I could until I eventually got to the point where I could equip uh, all four of my characters with guns, uh, gave them, like, uh, what is it, the dominant strength, where their, their HP is full, they can do twice the damage. And uh, <laughs> when I would uh, come across enemies that drop, like, the most powerful guns at that point, I would have all four of them just, like, blasting enemies in the face <laughs> and just watching as, like, the defense fell. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, there, I did have other weapons equipped as like their sub stuff, just in case there's only like one or two enemies. So yeah, you know, if I needed a single focus, but I'm not right. gonna lie, it, it was pretty fun for a while, just like blasting everything that got in my way with um these uh because all of the guns that you can find as weapons, they spread shot, they hit everything. They're gonna do random damage, but it's fun watching as like um a defense bar just goes from like you know fifty thousand and just like instantly just goes whoop, drops down to zero. <laughs> Just gone. So yeah, so I guess that kind of answers that question too of, uh, so the game has two different types of damage. It's got fixed damage and it has random damage to where your fixed damage items, be they swords, bows, and um, I think those are the only two that are fixed. Yeah, it's weird because, um, so there's only like a few weapon types and for spells, spells are what, there. some spells are random damage, some are fixed damage. There's a naming scheme for the the fixed and the random ones for spells. I really didn't mess with that too much. I just kind of picked whatever my strongest one was. But right. But yeah, if you're looking for like a fixed damage one, swords and uh, bows, like those are the ones. They're you go they're with. the ways to go. So then we our other weapon types is we have spears, we have axes, and uh, we had the guns, and those are all of our random type damages. To where, you know, they'll say, you know, 
a gun will do, we'll say, a thousand damage, but it's random, so it can be anything between one and a thousand. Mm-hmm. And it's always taking a gamble on that because you can always they'll they'll always deal higher damage, uh, f- especially for stuff that uh, you're currently on in terms of where you're at in the s- different stratums, and that kind of all plays also into your inventory system for the game because the game doesn't ever give you anything early because all of your gear in your game you earn from buying from the store or you know if an enemy drops it and an enemy has. You know, just like in any other RPG, they've got their common drop and their rare drop. Mm-hmm. But here in Dungeons Encounters, they have two types of those drops. They have their common and their rare. And then they have monster drops, and then they have store drops. So to get better gear, you have to fight more monsters. You, 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 you definitely want to engage in encounters instead of like trying to avoid them. Because if you, if you avoid the encounters, you don't defeat the monsters and you don't earn better gear because once you defeat an arbitrary number, and I have no idea what this arbitrary number is, it could be 1, it could be 10, it could be 100, whatever, because they have their common and rare drops. But Mm -hmm. as you defeat these monsters, their drops will populate the corresponding store. Like, you know, you you defeat uh, a harpy, and one of its drops is, oh, it drops, you know, a chest piece that has magical defense on it. Well, that'll go to the, the the store that sells that item. So then you can go and buy it. So it's not that you can buy specific items for all of your characters across the board. You have to basically earn your gear. Mm-hmm. And there are times, too, where an enemy will, like, you know, if you beat them, like, if, you know, other RPGs, where they'll drop a chest. And it's like, oh, hey, you got, you know, this piece automatically added to your inventory, you know, cool beans. But there are a lot of ones that, like Barurian was saying, where, like, I had one where after I had beaten um, this enemy that was apparently much higher leveled and stronger than what I was actually supposed to be fighting at the time, I happened to go back to uh, the town on the starting floor because of um, the Wayward Point ability, which lets you go back to a certain place. Uh, If you put the point down, I went back there, and I found this sword that was, like, far stronger than anything else I had at that point. I'm just like... What is this for? Why why is this available? And I thought about it and it was that enemy that I killed. I'm like, oh, you know, then I started piecing that together, like, oh, okay. So you can earn that stuff, and that's kind of where it can go to then. So it, it does pay to try and fight as many different types of enemies as you can. Exactly. And, uh, and fighting the notes on them because um one of the cool things about the game is uh as you go through different floors, uh you'll find different tiles that have like different numbering schemes like i think it's oh gosh what's like the first one uh like the first floor you'll find ones where there's um notes for ghost enemies and like ones that you'll find for um like the basically ones for every kind of enemy you can come across and what's cool is that when you come across these different encounters which you can find uh, a list of them by clicking on the right um the right stick on your controller if you're playing on or like on the switch you know if you're holding handheld uh, you can click on the right stick, and it'll show you a full list of encounters. And you can pull up the monsters in that individual battle, and they'll show you like, um, like I'm looking right now at battle number five or uh, zero five. Uh, you can fight the Hellhound. Uh, it'll show you like it can drop a Pith helmet uh, as its common one, or a Mystery Compound A for its rare one. Uh, and then if you you know go down a few battles, you find that same uh, wolf again. 
or excuse me, the Hellhound again, you'll see like, oh, in this version, the Hellhound can uh, drop this kind of uh, helmet, but it can also drop this as a, I'm trying to find another one here, sorry. No, it's, it's uh, all good, yeah. E- each monster has a, a specific, will have a specific drop that can only drop off of defeating them, but then they also have drops that only drop for the store. Mm-hmm. So they can drop four different items, potentially. Those compounds are really nice early on, too, since they give uh, small HP and uh, PP boosts. Oh, absolutely. Because energy, or the, uh, what do they call that? The proficiency points or the power yeah. points, whatever those are called. <laughs> we'll go with proficiency points. There we go. But th- those are really helpful to have because if you have um, higher proficiency, like even early on in the game, it means you'll be able to better equip yourself uh, earlier on. So you can be like, hey, now I have you know this really high defensive uh, piece of equipment that I found. Now I can go ahead and equip it to like such and such character if they're behind. So it's kind. Of, there, I found when I played the game that some characters, without even using the proficiency, excuse me, the proficiency compounds to give them extra points, that some characters just got proficiency points just like crazy. Like they would get them like so oh. many at level ups, and then some characters oh, yeah. just like, oh, I got like one. <laughs> <clears throat> that happened to me with. Uh... I think it was uh, Rodovich. He doesn't get a lot of proficiency points per level, but then you have like Sespare who gets tons per level. I think by the time, because they always kept, my three main characters always kept track on levels within like a, a couple of each other. And I think by the time I was, you know, very high level, the difference between Rodovich and Sespare was like 40 points of proficiency. And I'm like, that's, that's huge considering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had that with, um, not with the proficiency points, but with uh, HP. So, like I said, my main party, uh, Renzo, was my last character. And when you first pick him at the start of the game, too, his HP isn't super high. Well, for a long time, his HP really trailed behind everybody else's until I just was finally got to the point. I'm like, okay, I just need to start pumping in um, all these mystery compounds like A, B, and C that give him a ton of HP. Yeah. And he finally was able to start catching up once I did that. You know, I just had to keep giving it to him. But he just, for the longest time, when he would level up, he would be like um, like two or 300 HP behind, which early game, that can be dangerous too because if enemies get through your defense and they smack you, oh, like you're, you're dead. You're gone, yeah. <laughs> you are dead. So... <laughs> So I guess moving on from that, we talk about we've talked about you know battle mechanics, uh, so on and so forth. Um, these were few and far between in the game, but I feel like they're still worth mentioning. And that was mechanics that happened in specific stratums. Which the only one that I can think of that was a real problem were the ones that happened in the Forgotten Glory stratum, the the toll tiles. Oh God, those were so annoying. Yeah. So, like the like the name says, the toll tile will. Oh, oh, hold on a second here, real quick, just to go back to the the hellhound thing I was talking about. Um, I did find an encounter with another one in it. So <laughs> tell the sons I found it. Um, if you find one uh, in the battle 3D, and it's not going to come jumping out of your screen, don't worry. Um, <laughs> uh, if you, yes, yeah, sorry, that's a very bad joke. I apologize. Platy's <laughs> not here. I have to fill the void with with silly jokes on. <laughs> But um, anyway, uh, if you do find like a level 22 Hellhound, uh, it can actually its uh, drops will change from the one of the first ones you find in like that battle zero uh, five. So it's common one that it can drop is the kite shield. It's rare one that it can drop is mystery compound D, 
which is one of the ones that can increase your uh, PP points. Right. And um, that was just something interesting I found when playing it, where like different enemies, like or sorry, that the same enemies that you can encounter at, in later versions of battles can drop completely different gear. So I thought that was kind of cool. Sorry, yeah, I just wanted to. I wanted to just say that real quick. Oh yeah, I, I and it keeps found going. The, the Hellhound again. I just wanted to just mention that real quick because I finally found another encounter with it. <laughs> but um, uh, anyway, sorry. What were you talking about there? We were talking about the toll tiles that that pop up about halfway through the game. Now, uh, like I said, um, floor mechanics seem to be very, very few and far between in this game. So it's you're you're going to be more worried about encounters more than anything else but the toll tiles were some of the most frustrating things to deal with upon uh you know getting through that set of floors because for me i liked to map my uh floors out completely before i moved on to the next floor Mm -hmm. and the toll tiles made me have to wait (laughs) it's such a bastard move too because they don't really they don't show up after you get out of forgotten glory you never find them again <laughs> nope and the, the annoying part about them is every time you step on one it takes like ten thousand gold from you oh yeah it's it can it can drain your money very fast if you are not careful yeah and, and then i don't um, know if this i don't know if this one is true or not i read somewhere um actually just earlier today because i was double checking stuff i was reading that if you step onto one of those tiles and your money goes into the negative that you're not going to be getting any money back until you finally you know earn enough to get you out of the negative oh yeah yeah that's 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 a thing because very very early on like in the first floor you can run into an f level uh creature so like yangus was mentioning earlier with pulling up the encounter list by clicking in on the right stick it shows in in a hexadecimal format of zero zero to ff that's all the encounters in the game and you know a lot of them will be question marks until you fill them in by finding the corresponding white event that tells you that gives you the information mm-hmm. on the creatures but you'll run into creature fc which is a, a, a mouse and that mouse will steal like fifty thousand gold from you and run away and if you don't have fifty thousand gold it doesn't just take you down to zero it takes you into a to, into the negative of uh your your money and you are in that negative until you literally earn your way out and yeah, there is, it, it's a there is no, move. <laughs> there is no way around that. Mm-mm. As soon as you lose that, like the game auto saves quite a bit while you're playing through it. So uh, if you end up losing all that money and you get out of the battle and think, oh, well, I can just reload my save. Uh, guess what? That save's going to be after you finish the fight. So you're not going to be getting that money back. Yep. It's, and then it's, it's a bastard move because that thing, like the thing is too, you see the mouse and you look at its info once you, um, you know, find the corresponding note that like gives you all the enemy details for it. It's only level one. It's really like eventually you get to the point where you can just like one shot these things with their physical defense and their HP. But it can have some it, like God, what was it? It has three different skills, or like maybe it has a few more too. But depending on which one it will use, it'll it'll steal a different amount of money. And yeah. I remember I messaged you about this one, Brewery, and where I got into an encounter <laughs> with one. It stole like what was it like? Fifty thousand in one shot, or like yep. like a hundred thousand in one shot. I'm like, holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> I thankfully never had that happen to me, uh, but I have heard through countless other people online that they were just like, wait, what just happened? Yeah, if if you do decide to get this game and you come across and you see a square with the enemy FC on it, do not touch that tile. 
avoid it like the stay, plague. Until stay away. Are, stay away from it until you have um, very good gear. As long as if you can do over ten thousand damage in a hit, then you then you should be fine. But until then, stay away. <laughs> but um, since we're talking about an enemy that uh, scared the hell out of us with what it can do, I think just to mention uh, two enemies in particular. Uh, there's two rather nasty enemies that you can encounter um, at the post-game, and one in which you can actually encounter uh, when you're in Forgotten Glory, which we love talking about. We've talked about <laughs> that right. one several times. <laughs> but um, there's two uh, super boss enemies. There's, there's actually a few super bosses in this game. We won't talk about all of them, but I just personally wanted to talk about these two because if this combo shows up like separately, they're difficult but not that bad. But if they show up together, they are super, super annoying. Like it's probably one of the most frustrating battles I've had to face in the game. And that is the the black hole and the supercomputer bosses. I am so. actually looking for that one. That is one of the few that I have not been able to find because that one doesn't populate that often. I have been looking for that one for like a couple of days now, and I am just not having any luck with it. Well, I can tell you exactly where you can find it because I encountered this one uh, when I was going through the post game, and it gave me a full party wipe and made me lose all my party members. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so... On floors uh, 93 and 94, or it could be 92 and 93, I don't remember the exact ones, um, but, oh no, sorry, it's 93 and 94, sorry. Uh, there's okay. the, uh, on floors 93 and 94, uh, the two of them look exactly the same. Like, when you go, when you fall down from Pitfall and floor 93, floor 94 is pretty much the exact same shape. Uh, only difference is that the enemies' encounters are going to be a little different. Right. Now, on either one of these floors, you can encounter... Um, enemy group FB, or as I like to call it, Facebook, because of the two enemies that are uh, part of it. <laughs> um, it's kind of a joke with, you know, uh, you know, Facebook being from the computer, but <laughs> being like a black hole sucks you in. You can lose all your time and be sucked into the world of social media. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, if you ever see um, Encounter FB, unless you are trying to find it on purpose, do not touch it. Because in my experience, I stepped on that one came across the duo of the black hole and supercomputer, but it wasn't just one of each. It was two of each. Oh no. And they, the black holes are hard enough by themselves. Yeah, they, com they completely trounced me. I, I stood no chance because my equipment was just not strong enough because, uh, looking at their info here. So the black hole is a level 190 and the supercomputer is level 200. And both of them have their HP, their magical defense and physical defense. All of it, are all three of those forum are over a million with the black holes sitting at an even 1 million. And you're not really going to find a lot of stuff in this game. That's going to get to a million for you. Now <laughs> I've, I've beaten both of them separately, but I've not found the event where they're together. And that's what I'm looking for. Cause I'm trying oh, to finish up man. in the post game. I'm trying to finish up and they're one of the last ones. So to talk about the third one, I'm only going to mention it by name and just if you beat it, have you defeated? Or have you defeated? Have you defeated Professor Cavi? <laughs> oh my God! Unfortunately, yes, and it was not fun. <laughs> I have too. I did it right before we started recording. Oh, congratulations! That is not an easy fight. <laughs> Actually, it was kind of easy, and I, I, full of spoilers. If I explain anything on why it was easy, because it it'll just blow everything wide open for this game. But. Um, um, but you know what? We'll keep that. We'll keep that one a we'll, secret. Just, we'll just we'll talk about 
we'll talk about it all fair yes <laughs> but um yeah um one of the enemy is and the name of course it's silly and when you see what the enemy looks like it's even sillier but um do not be fooled by its appearance that's all i'm gonna say because well they this thing has a number of skills that can just ignore defense and can go straight for your hp and that's why so, it happened when I tried to fight it the first time. So they, so we we talked about earlier um, that you're uh, uh, you can get cavied. That we we brought that up way 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 earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually shown in the trailer, I think, about it happening to a character now because it's a guinea pig, and I think people are just like, why a guinea pig? And they talk to the director, our very own um, Ito, and he was like. Yeah, usually in a Final Fantasy game, it's a frog. I wanted something else, so we chose a cute guinea pig, and that's the reason why it's a guinea pig. <laughs> it's oh boy, yeah, you're gonna hate guinea pigs after that. That's all I'm right. gonna say. <laughs> Not only just because that status ailment either, but yeah, um, yeah. So like the super God. So I remember I messaged Brewery about this one. So when you're going through Forgotten Glory, um, there's a an enemy tile you can see that's called FA. It's like on floor 55 or 56, something like that. And I remember I saw that and I messaged you, uh, Brewery, and I'm just like, like it's really weird there's another F1 showing up here. I don't think that's a good idea stepping on it, so I'm not going to. And I'm really glad that I didn't because um, that one is actually the first time you can encounter one of the super bosses of the game. Oh, yeah. And supercomputer. Like, the funny thing is, when you look at the artwork for the supercomputer, which, again, that's something that I think is really cool. Like, you get to see this little snippet of artwork for all of these monsters you can come across. And some of them don't even seem like they're even that bad, but... Oh boy, when because when you look at the supercomputer one, like you know, it just looks like a computer, or like some like terminals that are standing next to each other. It, like a computer it's literally tower. a it's literally a server farm. Yes, that is what it looks like. And I remember when I saw that in the first battle, I came across it, and I'm just like, well, this thing can't be that bad, right? What, what's it gonna do? Uh, I I ate my words very quickly because it was like doing. Oh God, what was it? Some of its names with the text, like some of it. Its attack names are like oh, it's based on like mathematic properties or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there, yeah. There's a very annoying uh, uh, math abilities in this game to where it'll be like it does a prime number calculation, and if any of your levels are prime numbers, it does direct HP damage to you, and it's like mm-hmm. that is some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, because that's what happened to me when I first encountered that, where it did that to I think it was Renzo actually, which unfortunately with him having such low HP. You know, he gets hit with that. It did like about ninety percent of his HP off him. Like, holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> thankfully yeah. it was only one of them that showed up. Right. <laughs> but yeah, um, I just wanted to give special mention to these two super bosses in particular because, like, I really thought that you know, for these seeming like just such random things, enemies like they're very powerful. Like, one of my favorite enemies too is um, uh, we talked about a castle that can show up. There yes. is a if you've ever played Dragon Quest six and you've ever fought, and you've gotten to the point where you fight Stormsgate Citadel, you'll kind of know what to expect when we're talking about this castle enemy. <laughs> you'll, yes. you'll know right what yes. we're talking about. And um, I loved that, because I just thought that was such a crazy idea, but it was so cool. And that's what I loved about, uh, even though that was a super hard encounter with the supercomputer and with the black hole, like, I think that's a really fun idea, where you can just have, like, a crazy enemy combination, or, like, single enemy like that, where it just can, like, be like, what the hell is this? As soon as it attacks, it's like, oh, this thing's serious. 
pulls no I, punches. I loved it. it. It did not. It does not pull punches at all. And like I like I told you, Barurian, and you know anybody who's listening, if you do get this game and you decide you want to try and tackle this um, duo of enemies, look for enemy encounter FB and look for it about on floor ninety three or ninety four, and just um. Just be prepared. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I guess after we get finished here, I'll probably go search him out. Um, so uh, on top of that, there were uh, the only other, I guess, mechanics on certain floors that we have. You know, this one is literally on any floor from 00 to 99. Actually, I don't think there's any on 99, but um, hidden tiles. Because the point of the game is to map tiles. And mm-hmm. sometimes... There are hidden tiles in floors, and um, very early on, unless you know where to look, you'll you'll kind of be like, I missed like two or three tiles on this floor, but I know that I uh, mapped every tile. Where are they? So you go around, and there's an ability that you can get that will help you find hidden tiles. So I thought that that was pretty fun, because that definitely scratches that itch even more of me of, oh, I'm filling these tiles. Oh, now I'm looking for hidden tiles. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lastly, th- these kind of before floor 70, they're very, very infrequent. But yeah, there's after, really not that many. And usually um, there's like one, maybe two I uh, I saw before mm-hmm. floor 70, but flo- after just floor to, 70, everywhere, sorry, all sorry, the time. <laughs> sorry, I just want to jump in real quick and just um, I just wanted to say that with like um, you actually do get a bit of a taste with the hidden tiles, like even on the first floor of the game when you start off in the town, because the game kind of shows you. Uh, sort of ways to look out for hidden tiles because in like the very northwest corner of the map there's a, a square that's kind of separated off from some of the other ones and if you try walking down towards it it's like oh ho a hidden square popped up so it, it's kind of like the game's way of being like oh you know you better watch out for you know kind of hints like that because there are a few times where there's stuff kind of sitting out by itself in the middle and if you kind of feel your way around different parts of the floor you're like oh ho look up a, a, a path of secret tiles you know, it's really cool when you discover that sort of thing. Yeah, it was. Sorry, really, I, it's sorry I just wanted to jump. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a very good example of that, of the game teaching it to you without actually telling you how to do it. And then pitfalls, 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 <laughs> pitfalls are the worst. No, no, because not pitfalls. Don't mention those. You, you can't use fiend shuffle to move them around. You have to reset the floor by going to another floor and coming back for them to move away. Oh, God. Did so, you fall into any pitfalls in this game, Yangus? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I did. So, I'm going to so give you a little story here. It's story time with Yangus. I'm going to pull up in my chair and sip my tea and everything <laughs> and tell you here. <laughs> so, when I was playing, um, every time that I came across a pitfall, I was kind of like you where I was just like, oh, I got to fill out all these tiles. Well, whenever I saw a pitfall one, I'm like, I really like this. This is also before I realized they reset every time you, you know, went up and down the stairs. I'm like, I better step on it and see what's going to happen if I can fill on that tile. Because in my head, I'm thinking it's like um, Shin Megami Tensei or um, Etrian Odyssey, where, you know, that's just always going to be a pitfall. You know, you just have to find a way to get around it. But I want to fill in the tile so I can, you know, get the credit for it. So every time I would do that, you know, it, they would take you down to uh, wherever the next tile was. Usually it'd be like the floor below or like a few floors down. Uh, one case I had where all of a sudden I was down on uh, like floor 84. And it's just like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what the hell just happened? But, um, uh, most of the time, whenever I would, whatever it did happen to me, I would always end up down on another floor or like in another stratum or something, you know, whatever the case might have been. Um, I then had it happen when I was doing the post game. 
after floor 90, where I got to, I think it was floor 91. I actually have a clip of it saved on my Switch, and I've shown this to Barurian and everybody else on the, the Dragon's Den Discord. Uh, I was on, like, floor 91 or 92. I'm going around, and I see a pitfall. Now, up to that point, like I said, I had always seen it where the pitfall would just, oh, you know, it takes you down to another floor or something. Um, I learned that day that that is not always the case. Because if you go down a pitfall and there's nothing below it, the game just decides, oh, you fell into the void. Your party's scattered to the wind. The expedition party has been lost. And you then have to go and refind all of those characters. <laughs> And the, I'm watching. I'm watching it right now. I stepped on it on floor 91. I fell. It says the party fell for an eternity. Thus were the expedition members separated and scattered. And it drops you back off at the academy and makes you fill a new party. <laughs> the, the, oh my gosh! It is it that more or less the same thing happened to me. But it happened to me in an even like you did it willingly, thinking that you know. Oh, you know my experience with it before is that I'm going to land on a tile somewhere. And then that's, you... that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. I was so <laughs> taken aback by it. I just sat there just dumbfounded what just happened. Now, for me, <laughs> I knew that those pitfalls would scatter me to the wind because it had happened to me before. So I knew to avoid them like the plague. And I had gotten down to, I think, floor 92, and I was trying to map it out. And I was using the the, uh, the ability Gambler Shift, which will just put you into a random spot somewhere on the floor that you're currently on. And I was trying to get over to a segmented segmented section of the floor that I couldn't reach, and I hadn't figured out like the gimmick for getting to it. So I was like, I'll just teleport around randomly, and maybe I'll land on it. Well, I didn't realize that over there in that little like clutch of tiles that there was a pitfall and i teleported onto the top of the oh no and then i fell through the floor and then party was scattered to the wind oh no i'm so sorry and and that's the worst thing is yeah you have to reform your party but then your party that has been scattered to the wind it the the composition whenever you pull up uh the menu shows them lost it doesn't show them where they're at so you have to go find them again Oh, that was so bad when that happened to me too, man. Oh my god! But that's the only time. That's the only time that the pitfall really got me good. What, what was the first time that your party got scattered? That you like made, that made you avoid the pitfalls like as much like what what do you remember what floor you were on when that happened to you must, the first time? I must have been in the uh, I must have been in the thirties or something like that, and maybe, maybe it wasn't the thirties. Maybe it was a little further down. But I hit one of those, and I was just like, let's see where this goes. And I step in like you did, and then it was just – my party was just gone. And I was like – I put my switch down, and I just put my head into my hands, and I was just like, oh, no. Oh, no. I know. When that happened to me, I just sat there just like dumbfounded what just happened. All I could do was laugh. Because I was just just so taken aback by what I just witnessed on my screen. <laughs> because here's the important thing, is that that party was the party that I had been playing exclusively up until that point. So when they're all gone, they must have been in their 50s or 60s like that at some point. Mm-hmm. And I had to go back to a party that most of them were still in their 10s. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, man. I know. When you get a party wipe in this game, you're all of a sudden like, oh, shit. 
because the game, the game also does tell you that if you party wipe enough and you run out of characters to to lose, you get a basically a permanent game over, mm-hmm. and you have to start over. The nice thing though is that if you start a new game, it lets you retain the levels of everybody. So you, you know what I start saw from that. scratch. I saw that, and that's a really good thing that they put in there, too, because it's, you know, that way, then if somebody's like, oh, crap, I lost all my stuff, at least that way they can start the game over, and they'll have, you know, really strong characters for a while. Yeah. They can get back to where they were faster. So, you know, kudos to the devs, at least, you know, having some pity and being like, okay, you know, we'll give you, like, one, it's like, uh, oh, God, what is it? it's like you get, like, that one wish. <laughs> Bring back my party members. I've now, been watching there, a lot of Dragon Ball, so I've been like, I picture it like you get like the seven Dragon Balls. It's like, bring back my party. <laughs> <laughs> now that we have talked about pitfalls, there's one ability that I want to talk about, and that is the dreaded teleport. Oh, yeah. So, that one's a real. Uh, <laughs> that one can be a real gamble, too. If you, so, but um, please take the floor. Tell us about teleport. So, at some point in the game, you get teleport, and teleport lets you. You only get it like. You only get to use it like three times per going to an uh, adventurer's rest to refresh it. So, you can't. This isn't something that you can abuse in any fashion. You get like three uses out of it, and then you're stranded unless you have some other way to uh, help yourself out. But. Teleport will let you input coordinates, which is floor, x-axis, and y-axis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Now, the game does not explain this to you because of the nature of the ability, but if you are aware of anything else that happens, like with the pitfalls that we have both experienced in you know previously, uh, teleport is, you'll go to that square. If no square exists, your party is scattered to the wind, except for your leader. And you will just get put on some random floor somewhere. So several times with teleport, I'm trying to, I'm sitting there counting out squares. And I go, all right, I need to go here because there's like this clutch of tiles and I want to get over there. And uh, you're talking about floor 92 of the, of the post game, aren't you? I am. It's like all those little separate Island spaces. Yeah. So I was trying to teleport my way around before I realized how to fill that floor out. But, I was trying to teleport around, and I misinput a a, a, a uh, y-axis, and it put me one over from what I needed to, and it just scattered my party. And then uh, several more times of me not paying attention, and I accidentally like put the x on the y coordinates in backwards, or I'm off by one or two. And I must have in the post game, I must have scattered my party like six or seven times. No, oh, no. So oh, that's the worst too when that one happens because <laughs> um like I had it one time where oh god what was it I had um going back to the the black hole enemy for some reason I had de-equipped the ability that lets you um, avoid getting banished which is what happens if the black hole is able to use its uh, unique ability it will banish your party members to a different spot of the floor and um, I had that happen where when that ability kicked in you know. Throw all my party off and it threw them in a different spot. And it's like, well, crap! Now I got to go back down there and get get them. So I just picked the highest level party members I had in my academy at the time and was trying to get all my party members picked up. But of course, with the wandering tracker thing, it doesn't give you a a very clear answer for where you need to go. So right. I'm being as cautious as I can exploring 
um, the later floors in the 90s, trying to make sure I don't run into any of the powerful enemy encounters that are going to just totally wipe my party, even though they weren't like they weren't like super under leveled. It was more of like the last characters you can find from the labyrinth. But I knew if I got into an encounter, I was going to be SOL. <laughs> but um, oh, let's see. Why did I? T- why was I telling you about this one? Um, yeah, the the party wipe thing when that happens to you, because um, oh, of the teleport. Um, like so, when I got that ability, and I I, I I saw that you know you had to put in like the access and like you know you got to put in your three coordinates. I'm like, I think I'm just going to use this as more of a last ditch go yes. back to town sort of thing because that's, that's what you should be using it as but me trying to be proactive and trying to get ahead of myself <laughs> i made myself pay for it because i think um it was just a couple four, sorry go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say the, the, the last couple of days i was playing this game was me scattering my party and spending uh, more time than i wanted to finding the party because there was there was one level to where I was just like, oh yeah, I need to go to this level. I remember these coordinates, and then I did it, and I go, oh, I did it one floor lower than I needed it to be, so that tile didn't exist. Oh no! So goodbye party. But but, but by that point, I got so good at the wanderer tracker that I was able to find them very quickly the last couple of times. But be cautious when using teleport. I cannot oh, yeah. be more clear about that. Yeah, if you if you do have teleport equipped, just just use it as a last ditch effort to get back to town. Just use the zero zero fifty fifty. Just do that so you can get back to the academy. Just, yeah, like honestly, what I kept doing with teleport, I would use the wayward point ability, which is one that will let you create a return point to the labyrinth. So yeah, like I would, I that's what I did when I was mapping out floor uh, ninety two, for example. Like I would. Uh, use gambler shift to go to different islands and see if I could fill out the rest of it. Uh, if I ran out, I would put down the wayward point. I would use teleport, go back to town, um, you know, heal up, uh, recover all my uh, ability points, so I could then use teleport again and you know use gambler shift again, go back down to the wayward point that I made, and just kind of keep repeating the process until I was um, able to get most of it. I did have to go. Uh, what was it? I went back up to floor 91 at one point and then just kind of tried to find uh, the tiles to go down as best as I could for using yeah. the lesser dissension, which did work, thankfully. But um, Beware of greater yeah. ascension and lesser dissension because it act it acts just like a pitfall if there's no tile below you. Oh, really? That happened to you? I've tried using the greater or lesser one and it just would tell me, like, oh, so, there's no tile below the party. So with, with lesser dissension, it only checks the floor above or below you if you use ascension, or lesser ascension slash dissension. But with the greater versions of that, dissension especially, uh, and only with dissension, because they're, they're, you wouldn't lose your party going up. But if you use greater dissension and there is no tile below you, all the way down to 99, your party is... Whoosh, scattered that's interesting i never had that happen that's weird i i did oh no i've had my party scattered in every conceivable way in this game i'll have to check that and see if that does anything (laughs) i'll just take down like one of my characters don't care that much about go down to floor 99 and just be like okay we're gonna test this out yeah (laughs) wait what (laughs) more or uh, less that'll happen oh you know what you know what we didn't talk about at all the craziness of floor 99 and how it changes even more Because um, both of us agreed, we won't we won't talk about it too much. But um, I remember when I saw floor ninety nine and how drastically that changed from the previous floors. It's like right, what the heck? it's like what is going on? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> it's like what is this? And the game does not explain it. Like even when you fight the boss of that floor, you still don't get an explanation. It's like what the f- is happening? <laughs> 
No, mine mine wasn't specifically that. You know what we kind of glossed over? What's that? The the map and math riddles. Oh yeah. So I'm just gonna say this right now. The map riddles I liked finding out and or that I liked trying to figure out. Those ones I enjoyed because I was those trying to figure fun. out where those maps were. For the math riddles, I gave up after a certain point and looked the answers up because I just didn't care. <laughs> math was never my strongest subject. I knew that even going in. I figured out the first few, but after a point, I'm just like, yeah, no, let's look up the. But I did wait until I got to the post game before I did that, though. I did not yeah, try and that's my um, way through it beforehand, but I, 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 well, did, I did too. cheat, but I waited well, much later. By, by looking them up. <laughs> Well, there. So I won't say which one, but one one of those math riddles. It is impossible to figure it out unless you know the reference it's making. Are you? I'm not going to say. It, are you referring to the one of the last ones? Yes. Okay, I think I know which one you're talking about then, because when I was looking up uh, those answers, I'm just like, boy, I never would have gotten that one from no, Evan. I know. I never would have. Nobody would. It's because uh, they're, they're, uh, most of them are based on sequences and stuff, and that one is not. And you have to know what it's referencing to get it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're not going to get it, because there's, no, there's apparently no way to figure it out otherwise. Anyways, um, yeah, I loved doing the map riddle, or the map uh, riddles, I guess. Yeah. yeah, you know, I yeah, it's hard because with them being map and math, it's like okay, which one am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, the the <laughs> but, map, the map riddles I loved doing. Those were yes. a lot of fun to do. Those were fun. Those were fun figuring out like what spaces they were talking about because uh, one of my favorite ones too was um, uh, what is it? It's the molten crags where it's like the volcano area. There's a few that are hidden in that particular part where it kind of shows you and with how it's set up to uh, with those floors I've set up. It's kind of more of like a linear sort of path, but with a lot of jaggeds like and like yeah. you have to go like really like almost like a staircase sort of look to it at some points. It was fun figuring out like which parts it was talking about because and when you do when you do eventually find it and you hit the A button on that spot, you're just like, hell yeah. OK, we found the treasure. All right. What's it like? Where are we getting this time? <laughs> It was, it was, I, I didn't look. I didn't look at the full list of like what you could find from those uh, map riddles. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Okay. I, I just waited to see like what. Well, also I didn't know they were further down in that um, full list of events you would come across. I uh, just, I, I just found it exciting just to uh, finally, uh, you know, discover them through the riddles and being like, okay, you know, you know, what's the prize this time? And you get some really good stuff from doing the both the map riddles and the math riddles. Oh yeah. That's some really good equipment you can get both armor and, um, uh, attacking stuff. Like that's actually how you can get some of the, uh, special gear for some of your later party members, like the cutlery set we were talking about for uh, sir cat, uh, for your robot partner that, or your robot party member, you can get called like K 2000. You can find some special equipment like the excavator for him. And you can find, um, Oh, gosh, what was one of the other things? One of my favorite things you can find, it's just called the painting. And it's supposed to be like this lovely piece of art. It costs a ton of PP to equip. but Dude, it's, do, like, it, it's like 300 proficiency to equip it. You almost cannot equip it with anything else unless your characters are extremely high level. Mm-hmm. But if you do manage to equip it, you get a 75% chance to counter any attacks. So I just imagine that whatever character uh, can equip it, they just become like so possessed by the painting that if they get attacked, they're just like, don't come near me. Don't touch my painting. Yeah. They just like attack and retaliation. It's uh, again, to kind of go back to another square Enix property. It reminded me of final fantasy six, where there is the possessed painting in the basement of Ozer's mansion in, um, 
Uh, it's the town where you can find Realm in the world of Ruin. And if you go near the painting, the painting is like, don't come near me. I've found something that's beautiful. I must keep it for myself. Do you, do you think that that's a direct reference to that since it was done by Ito? You know what? It ver- you know what? Now that we're talking about it, it very well could have been. It very well could have been. <laughs> Boy, I did not even think about that. I just happened to think about like when I was thinking about stuff to talk about the for the episode tonight. Like the painting was one of the things that I found was one of the funniest accessories that you can get. And it, I just happened it's to think about definitely the strangest of it's all the, of yeah. of all of the items. It's the strangest item. Oh yeah. But you know what? It very well could have been a bit of a nod to Final Fantasy VI then. Because I just thought it was funny then that, um, you know, the painting can cause your character to get such a high uh, counter, uh, a high counter rate, excuse me, that um, I then kind of was thinking about it. It's like, you know, it is kind of like the painting boss from Final Fantasy VI where it's like this evil spirit that's possessed the painting and it's controlling uh, the mansion and all these other paintings and stuff. And yeah, it, you know what? It very well could have been a reference to it. That's a, that is a good observation, Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> that clever well, bastard. Well, we... <laughs> we've we've covered a, we've covered a lot. Is there anything else that uh, you can think of that we should uh, talk about at this point? Boy, yeah, we have talked about a lot because, like, from my notes, you know, we talked about the environment, we talked about the characters and the the cast of monsters. Um, we talked about why Sir Cat is the best character in the game. We talked. <laughs> um, I guess the last thing, just to kind of end us off here, um, you know, how did? Uh, you interpret the design of the world and, you know, this story and kind of narrative that was uh, presented to the player. Because, like, I'm, I'm, I specifically wanted to ask this one, too, because when you beat the game, you know, one of the last things that the game says to you, it's like, well, you know, did you find what you were looking for here in um, the labyrinth? Like, did you find what you were com- looking for? So I thought that was a very interesting and kind of, and I don't want to sound like too uppity or anything, but like, kind of a profound way of like asking the player, almost like the player, if they've, if you know, they found the experience enjoyable or, you know, if they found what they were looking for from the game and, you know, with us talking about how we made up our own stories and, you know, kind of interpreted things in our own ways. I'm just curious, Emberry, and like, you know, how did you, you know, interpret all of this in the end? Like when you finally, you know, wrap things up and, you know, you were said to like, you know, did you find what you were looking for? Like, what did you take away from that? So for me, it all kind of tied back to the characters that I let out with. Uh, Rodovich, Julush, and Sispare, and I kind of filled in the fourth character all the way, and um, it gets into massive spoilers with how I filled my fourth character, and you will immediately understand why. (laughs) But um, the last character that I picked up was one of the wanderers in the dungeon, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's the last wanderer that you can find. So it kind of tied, for, for me, it kind of tied up like, gosh, two different ways to go about this. Like, I had made myself a cohesive story kind of in my head about the path that you take through everything. You start in the underworld, you go through Paradise Lost, the undulating sands, to the, to the mountains of the molten crags, um, followed by the blasted wastes that are left behind by the volcanoes. And then we come across, you know, the Forgotten City, and then, you know... I'll leave the other half of the game to the players to find out instead of, you know, kind of going on about that. But uh, I, I had kind of done some some personal world building with all of that. Mm-hmm. And when they reached the end of the game, for me, it was Rodovich was looking for a challenge, to, you know, because he's an old he's he knows he's an old man. He's just like, I want to do this one last time to see if I can do it. And he did it. 
And he was helping Saspare find what she was looking for in the dungeon. And she did. And then Jalush, who had kind of resigned his fate to, I'm going to go on, go down into the dungeons. And if I die, I die. And he basically has a turnaround there at the end. And then with the fourth character, who is redacted, um, their story was also uh, completed. Hmm. So I found what I was looking for upon completion of the game. And I wish I could talk about it more, but it really spoils the end game for uh, for some people. So, you, you know, of all the stories that this game gives you. Yeah. I well, just don't want to ruin the fun of, like, the last half of the game with finding out some stuff. Oh, yeah. No, there's definitely some of the best enjoyment is from the discovery of, you know, some of the crazy stuff that happens later on. Um, but, yeah, thank you for sharing, you know, your interpretation and, you know, how it kind of ties everything in with the story that you were crafting. So, and that's definitely interesting, too, that you uh, took the character of, uh, was it Cespar? Was that her name you said? Yeah. I'm terrible with the names of these characters. <laughs> they all have very but interesting names. They do. They, I, You know, I wonder if a lot of them are, like, references to something or, like, um, works of, like, old fiction or something. You know, because with a lot of this classical music, I wonder if... Um, some of them are references to like older um, literature characters or something, which is some of the name choices. But um, could, could uh, be. But um, what was I going to say for? Yeah. So um, what I took from this one. So as you're going through, you find a lot of these wanderers that are you know scattered about the different lands and everything. The way that I kind of took the game, and again, I don't want to go into like spoilers for the later half, but. I almost wondered with this game and how it set things up is that, you know, with all of these characters and that you can come across as party members and how all of them have such, you know, vastly different backstories. If, you know, somehow this labyrinth is sort of like some sort of weird amalgamation of all these different, like possible realities and um, environments and, that's you know, a, time that's a very good way to look at it. Yeah. Because with how drastically different, some of the later ones can be and some of the creatures you come across and with even some of the character backstories that you read. Like I, I kind of had this feeling like either there was some, that this is some sort of world that is just um, really, uh, gosh, I don't even know. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to like spoil anything accidentally. I'd, I'd hate to do that because I really think that the, the discovery of what goes on is so cool. But I guess just to talk about sort of like how I viewed it when I finally did beat the game, like um, for Elva's case, you know, he was sort of this in his backstory. He's talking about how like he's this um, this lone survivor from like this strange experiment from like years and years ago that he sort of has overcome the odds and hasn't let, like, his past define him. Right. Um, you have a character like Renzo, who, you know, this whole time he was searching for the woman who attacked him and, you know, left him with these wounds and almost for dead. But he overcame that. And um, in my interpretation of him, too, like, he, he did overcome, you know, sort of this anger that or this, like, war or, you know, this this animosity that he had towards... Um, I can't remember her name, but the, the woman who attacked him, because uh, you do end up finding her later on in the game, too, as a wanderer. So I kind of imagine that at first it was kind of an awkward encounter uh, for the two of them. But the one that I, again, with me picking, like, Jero uh, or Jero, or, oh, God, I, can't remember, I can't remember his <laughs> name. Um, pur purple Hair McGee, we'll call him. Uh, you picked him too. You know what I'm talking about. Jirak. Oh, Jalush or whatever. Jalush. Jalush. I'm calling him Jerush, I guess. But uh, J yes, Jalush. Jalush. <laughs> See, he's he's the man of many names. But uh, yes, um, for uh, Jalush, 
who I had picked for like my protagonist slash main character. Uh, again, like I said, he was sort of like a, the stoic who was like writing down everything as he was going through. I imagine that when he, you know, they finished their exploration and they found, you know, the final wanderer and they encountered what they encountered in the, you know, the final pits and the final floors that, um, you know, he, since he was more of the observer type, you know, he noticed like all of these, um, relationships sort of forming between like the different members of the academy. Like I imagine that um, I can't remember the boy's name, but it's the one that was supposedly like kind of pulled into this world. Uh, he it's it's what what is that story type from like Japanese isekai? Isekai, isekai. thank you. He's kind of like this isekai type character. Like I imagine that he would become um, a good friend to the robot K two thousand and um, with Sir Cat. Then you have the little girl like Gar uh, Gracia who is going to the uh, the labyrinth to try and find uh, Voltaro. And when they end up finding him, you know, she feels like her she's fulfilled, but she's also in awe because, you know, it's this, it's this dragon that she's finally getting a chance to meet. And so there's sort of a bond there. And, like, he's the one who's, you know, observed all of this and has written this all down in his journals. And um, I didn't see it, like, necessarily as, like, the game was, like, his experience with it. Or, like, or his, or, sorry, but... His adventures was like the experience that you just read through, you know, that sort of thing. But um, I guess I just kind of interpret him as, as like when he finally goes done, like, you know, he found what he was really looking for. And that was just, you know, the sense of adventure, you know, seeing all these people who came together from such different backgrounds and stuff, you know, they overcame the odds. And even though, you know, all of them are so vastly different that they didn't necessarily let that get in the way. And they just kind of kept working together at their all that their common goal of getting through this labyrinth. And, you know, they discovered a lot of interesting things and, you know, found, you know, solved all of these puzzles and riddles and everything and, you know, overcame the odds. So I guess to me, it just seemed like a good fantasy you know, adventure kind of story that this man who, even though he doesn't seem like he was very talkative and very outgoing, that he was, um, you know, observing all of this the whole time and, you know, was writing all this stuff down and was, um, you know, really enjoying the experience, even if he didn't necessarily say it to everybody. And so, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of my final thoughts on it. And I really enjoyed that the game, you know, had so much freedom, you know, to think this thing. And, you know, if you, because, I mean, obviously the two of us had completely different uh, takeaways from it so you know i think i think that's and, really one of the be- beautiful things about this game i really do i agree that that's what makes it great is we we both put 40 50 60 hours into it and we walked away with two different experiences but at the same time we had a lot of fun with it mm-hmm. and yeah that um i think that is a good note to end on then with dungeon encounters so <laughs> I think that is going to do it for this episode of Slime Time SideQuest. I'd like to give a big thank you to you, Brewerian, for joining me tonight, uh, as well as, you know, pretty much giving me the idea to do this. Well, it was supposed to be more of a mini episode, but I think at this point it's pretty much a full-length episode. <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I do I, I do want to thank you, too, for, you know, letting me know more about this game whenever I asked you and. Um, you know, I'm really glad that I did give this game a shot because I absolutely loved it. It was one of those games that just kind of flew under the radar at first. And I'd heard of Voice of Cards when because the, the two came out about the same time. Yeah. But I didn't hear anybody talk about Dungeon Encounters. And it's like, man, Dungeon Encounters is so good. I can't believe nobody's talking about this. It's crazy. It's you know what? I, I'm I'm really glad that you decided to give it a try and you enjoyed it as much as you did. Oh, yeah. This has. Like, as we talked about earlier, like, I, I'm a big fan of the Etrian Odyssey series, and I, I won't deny it. And I really, you know, I found a lot of the same enjoyment from 
uh, dungeon encounters that I enjoyed about the Etrian games so much. Where hey, that's a lot why of- I suggested it to you because I knew you enjoyed Etrian and the, the, the kind of freedom, and I knew you always like to do con- concoct the stories for your party members and stuff like that. And in this game, you know, every character basically gets kind of a starter point for their story that it's op- so open ended that you can kind of continue on with that in, in your head as you play mm-hmm. and i knew you would enjoy that and I, that's why I, I kept kind of poking you to hey you should give this a shot <laughs> well it definitely worked because i enjoyed the hell out of this game and i really am looking forward to replaying it at some point in the future because i'd love to try it with um you know different uh character parties or you know use more of the characters that i didn't really touch that much the first time or you know maybe even do it where like anytime a new character shows up like they get swapped in for someone else because um just real quick something that we didn't uh mention too awful much before but um some of the characters that you do come across they do have their own unique equipment so like there's a there's a guy who's kind of like a samurai type of character and he can equip these um, pretty powerful samurai blades that can you know just cut through enemy hp and just ignore defense and stuff so i mean there's a a lot of the characters are kind of interchangeable like you know if you just find like some favorites you want to use and you know what that's great but if you you know you feel like experimenting and trying some different ones that um you know there's a lot you can play with and there's a lot you can do you know for excuse me for different party setups so you know there's a lot of replayability with this game i oh excuse me sorry there's a lot of uh, replayability with this game, and I think you know that's that, that that's awesome. You know that's so cool, so great to see that. But um, uh, yeah, but again, thank you for being on Brewery, and thank you for joining me to talk about this game. Yeah, I'm glad I could be here. We we definitely had a lot to say, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, uh, so I'm going to quote our platinum friend who isn't with us tonight. Uh, you listeners most likely know that we do not use Patreon. If you do have some cash burning a hole in your pocket, though, then consider going on over to the Dragon's Den. Uh, the site and its founder, Woodis, helped sponsor all of our episodes and is a good friend of ours. And, you know, we're just some longtime fans of Dragon Quest. And, you know, this is a series that brought a lot of us together. You know, we all love it. We all love to support it however we can. And, you know, if you'd like to support uh, this podcast and support Dragon's uh, Den itself, you can head over to www.woodis.com backslash den. And either send Woodis some money to help keep the den's lights on, or you can click the shiny Amazon affiliate link uh, that he has up on the forums and, you know, order whatever you like, whether it's uh, any video games or uh, movies, you know, whatever you happen to might order from Amazon, you know, use the affiliate link. And uh, part of your transaction will actually go to help Woodis maintain uh, the website and, you know, help him keep the lights on, you know. A few dollars will go to him then so we can keep the forums going, keep all this stuff going up that he's been running for years. And, you know, I'm sure that he would greatly appreciate uh, the love and support because I don't know about you, Brewerian, but whenever I try and order something from Amazon, I always try and use that affiliate link so we can throw um, oh, our yeah. good friend with us a few extra dollars here. I, I, I do the same thing. I don't order from Amazon a lot, but when I do, I use the affili- I, that affiliate link. But if you have any suggestions for a future side uh, quest episode, we'd be happy to hear from you. You can reach out to Platinum Three on Twitter or Discord or the Dragons Den. You can also contact Yangus here on the Dragons Den via a personal message, or on the Dragons Den Discord. Which, if you want, there is a link available on the Woodis forums for it. Um, just search for Led- the Angus the Legendary Bandit to send him a message, and we also have a full list of ideas and would be happy to add more. See you later, everyone. Side quest complete. Mm-hmm.